We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Make Time for This, probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. Once again, we are here to talk about the 2022 FIFA World Cup. We're going to recap the last 16, the eight games that have led us to our eight quarter finalists. First and foremost, though, calling in from the road, as you can probably tell. By how he sounds, he sounds different. Mr. Andrew Snyder, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, Adam. There was uh, some decisions that had to be made about suitcase space, and unfortunately, the microphone did not make the cut. But I'm here to talk about one game I saw and wish I hadn't seen, and a bunch of other games that you know I was following the game tracker. Been a been a long week and. The, the Winter World Cup, once again, is, is getting me down. I I mean, I don't like any of the reasons why it's happening at this time of year. I like it. I don't have a problem with it being in winter. Uh, it would be a problem being in winter in the parts of the world where it is going to be on probably 75% of the time at least. Um, but I have to say, I... For all the thought I gave to what would that feel like, how would that be, it hasn't bothered me that much. Is part of that, Andrew, influenced by the fact that I took two weeks vacation that coincided with the start of this World Cup? Possibly. That probably helped. If I'd seen no group games, I might have felt differently. But uh, hasn't been the case. All right, well, let's get into it. And when I say get into it, I really mean get into it, because the last 16 kicked off... Um, close to a week ago now last saturday um that's not even close to a week yet really but what is time andrew and the netherlands took on your united states of america and it went like we both predicted on the previous episode it went like you expected we did discuss a lot of american fans seem to be feeling very confident very optimistic i'm i noted i've seen a lot of journalists from around the world football journalists just think you know what i think the u.s can do this 
And this game did not turn out like that at all. Honestly, it couldn't have been any more predictable to me. Um, I think the areas in which the US fell down, I think the areas in which the Dutch really, really thrived and I think are still... They're probably the most underrated team in this tournament now because I feel like everyone has really got their kind of their moment to be uh, put in the spotlight and they haven't got that yet. If they get through a quarterfinal, that will certainly have come their way. But there were no surprises here for me in a 3-1 Netherlands win over the United States. What were your feelings with how it ultimately played out? Yeah, so for about three minutes, there was a little bit of uh, hope for the United States. Uh, Christian Pulisic with a chance on goal that he didn't get a great strike on, uh, saved, and from then on, it was all the Netherlands. They were organized uh, for periods. They were content to let the U.S. have the ball and know that they weren't going to do anything very cutting with it. And then I think in the 10th minute, a string of 20 uninterrupted passes, uh, Dumfries, uh, playing a cutback from Memphis Depay, scores a goal, and from there on, it felt like the Netherlands were in control of the game because they were. Uh, then Daly Blinn gets one right before before halftime, and that really diminished any sort of confidence that any of the Americans I was standing around uh, in a bar at 10 in the morning. Um, I'm, I'm not equipped for all this early morning drinking anymore, even if it's to serve my country. So uh had a rough afternoon after that that required a nap um and then the u.s got got some false hope uh haji wright sort of lucks into a goal in the uh what was it the 70 76 minute and then as quickly as hope um was into our hearts dumfries dental dumfries once again uh puts the knife into our heart with a, a beautiful strike after a, a cross. He was unmarked on the, I guess, the back post and uh, scores the goal. And I think he was arguably the best player on the pitch all night. And that matchup with him going against Anthony Robinson, who did not have it going in any way, shape or form was bad on the ball, was bad defensively. And uh, what happened was exactly what we expected to happen, which is a chess versus checkers managerial matchup with Louis Van Gaal going against Greg Berhalter. And while the U.S. are talented in a lot of areas, uh, especially in the midfield, um, although that advantage was – or not advantage, but that uh, their performances, just because of the nature of the game, did you know not stand out as positively as they have in other games. And it's a team that – Three and a half years too early. They need to figure out the striker position. They need to uh, figure out who their center back tandem is going to be moving forward because this was the the first game where having Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman, Zimmerman back there and the limitations that they are and the way that you kind of need your fullback or center backs to play in like this day and age of football, their weaknesses and limitations were shown. And the Dutch made them pay and were uh, organized. They were clinical, and they got the job done. And to your point, I think anyone overlooking them moving forward and just assuming that uh, Argentina is going to move by them with A, hasn't been watching Argentina, and B, hasn't been watching them. There was a a quote that Van Hall had after the game that I don't know if you saw any of this or the kerfuffle around it that seemed to be taken out of context by uh, a U.S. media member. Um. 
and was framed as some sort of slight of him saying, you know, we didn't make any adjustments to play the US, where the wider context of it, I think, was we didn't make any adjustments to play the US. The US didn't make any adjustments to play us. Like, we're all good teams at this point, and we're going to go and play our game, and we'll find out who wins. I think there there is a lot of truth to that. Um, the difference is that the Dutch kind of plan A has the adjustments built in. And this is a real masterclass. This is a real vindication of the tactics on Hal's brought to the tournament. Because at a time where, yeah, you see plenty of teams play five at the back or three at the back with wingbacks, whatever way you want to frame that. Um, the World Cup and the best teams at this World Cup are all playing a variation of 4-3-3, much like the US did. And the big moment, and I think we touched on it, on a preview pod is in what will he do here? And I know we touched on it on the last world cup episode, looking ahead, the big game changer for the Dutch. And the thing that kind of on Hal had up his sleeve was a change at center back, which gave him so much flexibility tactically and really opened up a much more fluid game plan. And that was dropping Bayern Munich's uh, Matthias De Ligt, who's one of the more high profile, um, if not best center backs in the world and bringing in Ajax's Urian Timber. And in doing that, what he was able to do is bring in Timber, who is probably most comfortable centre-back, but has played a lot at right-back, is very, very suited to a right-back role. And what you can do in a game like this, then, is when you don't have the ball, you're in a back five. Blind tucks back on the left side, Dumfries tucks back on the right side, you've got your three centre-backs. When you get the ball... Timber can move out wide, wider to right back. You've got Van Dijk and Ake at centre back, and you've got Blind at left back. What happens there? Denzel Dumfries is free to bomb on. And that's what happened here. And I, I think Robinson didn't have a good game, but I do also think he was exposed by the US's tactical failings, which is he had Christian Pulisic in front of him, who was not the guy that you want to give you support in that situation. And he was not really giving support in that situation. And the U.S. were just getting overrun entirely. And I, I think it goes back to a few things. We talked pre-game about the idea of whether it was Pulisic or whether it was Gio Reyna, maybe going with a false nine so that you could be much more compact when you don't have the ball, you drop numbers back. Greg Berhalter went with Ferreira up front, a much more traditional striker. That really didn't work. He played poorly. But, I mean, more than any individual performance, it didn't give you good shape for the team. And with that, what you do is... You've got a flat back four, and I say a flat back four, Dest is very, very advanced as he tends to be. He is an attacking fullback. You've got wingers who I wouldn't say are the most kind of engaged when it comes to tracking back in Pulisic and Weah. And all of a sudden, what is the greatest strength of the American team? Your three midfielders are responsible for kind of overlapping and getting beyond and being very much box to box for a way. It's, it's just far too open in the middle of the field. And you've got Frankie de Jong, who honestly is probably a top five centre midfielder in the world. Like for as great as the US midfield is, there is not a Frankie de Jong in there yet. Maybe four years from now, one of those guys can be at that level. Um, whatever it was Martin Darun, Davy Klassen, uh Coop Coop Miners came on. Doesn't really matter. Blind is capable, has played defensive midfield. So again, if all the players on the right, he can switch in and be in a holding role more centrally too. 
Like that is the thing this Dutch team has going for it. It is so fluid. It is so versatile. And that is just baked into the system that Van Hal has built here. The one that has him unbeaten as coach since he's returned in this stint. They absolutely breeze through qualifying after having some tough times. This is a team that did not make the last World Cup. A lot as we talked about the US missing the last World Cup. The Dutch also missed the last World Cup. This is a first World Cup for Virgil van Dijk. This is a first World Cup, I think, for everyone on this team that isn't daily playing the Memphis Depay. Certainly in terms of starters, I can't see anyone else there who jumps out to me as would have been around Vincent Janssen on this team? Who? Vincent Janssen, maybe. Vincent. Actually, D- Davy Klassen could have been in some of those squads. But that's kind of it. Like, Cody Gakpo, Denzel Dumfries... Uh, Frankie de Jong, Nathan Aki, like these guys haven't been here and done that. There wasn't an advantage there. But the advantage is, I think, generally in how Van Hal has built a system, honed the system, the options he has within that. So it's not a case of, okay, we're not getting success here. We've been found out. I need to make substitutions. There is real scope within the Dutch formation to adjust to go to something that is closer to a 4-3-3. They could go to something that's closer to a 4-4-2. They can go 5-3-2. They can go 5... You could go 5-4-1. I mean, even their two strikers, it's like quote-unquote strikers. Depay and Gakbo are wide players, really. Certainly both started their career as that more naturally. Could play there if needed in the course of a game. And just overall, I think that's kind of the night and day difference. You've got a team that is so sophisticated in terms of what the manager has just built into the team and how they play. You've got players who are comfortable in different roles and capable of adjusting to punish an opponent that's put in front of them. And with that, in spite of multiple very good players, the U.S. get punished. Now, I think there are other issues. Riemann Zimmerman being one, their passing was atrocious to play the way I think the U.S. want to play for their best players, you need centre-backs who are going to be able to play football. Those guys can't. They're not passing centre-backs at the level you need. We touched on up front. That remains an issue. Gio Reyna eventually saw some time, and they went to false nine kind of looks. Don't know why it didn't happen earlier. Um, a very, I was very disappointed. I mean, it's what I expected, I'll be honest. I've said up front, I'm rooting for Louis van Gaal in this World Cup for his own individual story. He's a former Manchester United manager. I have a lot of time for him. Always really liked him. Um, But I was disappointed by what the US brought to this. Because the plan is there. And you, you were right to mention, I mean, the game could be different if Pulisic takes that chance in like the third minute. I still would struggle to see like, I don't, I don't think the solidity was there in the US team that, oh, we've got an early lead. Now we're going to do, say, what Morocco were able to do to Spain, and we're really going to absorb pressure really well. You can have as much of the ball as you want, and it's not going to do anything to us, and we're still going to be the threat and the counter. I don't know if the U.S. had the players, particularly with their back four, to play that way and get away with it. Um, But certainly Pulisic missing that chance, and best team goal the tournament so far? Like, probably the Memphis Depay goal, that opening Dutch goal. But two assists for Dumfries and a goal... Um and Daily Blind getting an assist then did, did he assist the Dumfries goal? He he did, didn't he, right? And he got a goal of his own. I believe he did, yeah. So it's it's that wit from wing backs and it's really just 
the whether you want to call it a three or whether you want to call it the five, it's the extra man out wide and how the Dutch were structured. They were able to just pull the US from one side of the pitch to the other and have a man over and pick them apart there, which I I think look, we alluded to it. I alluded to it, but I know you'll be game that we'll do a maybe state of uh state of US soccer pod and look at what they could maybe try to do or what they should be looking to do for 2026 when they're a co-host. But uh, this is a real indictment of Greg Berhalter, and I think where where U.S. soccer is at in a in a tactical way, it's very unsophisticated. They've got players who are increasingly talented, smart, sophisticated, coming up through some of the best club academies and systems in the world. And I don't think the leading football decision makers are up to a level that's like equivalent to that. And uh, that's not a major knock, like to say that someone like uh, Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, obviously what they've gone through with Dortmund and the kind of coaching they would get there. Weston McKenney at Juve, you know, Smooth at Valencia. Like you can kind of go around the team. Tyler Adams at various stops in his career. Sergio Des or is at Barcelona or is that Ajax before that? Like you they're getting players who can perform to a level that is much higher than I think what the US coaching infrastructure is capable of bringing out of them. So that's that's gonna be one of the things that's interesting to see going forward. Uh rumblings on the day we record this, maybe in the few hours before this post, things will change. Um, but that they are working towards a new contract with Greg Berhalter, which to me just is a colossal misunderstanding of where this went right or wrong and what you've got to do to be successful or to get better, to keep building on this in international football at this stage. Like, I I think Morocco, will talk to them later. I think they're a great example of a country who are not a traditional powerhouse, but all of a sudden... You've got the bones, you've got a couple of kind of stars, you've got someone like Hakimi, someone like Hakim Ziyech, and it's like, okay, we've got good players to fill out around that, what can we make them into, how can they play, what is our system, what is our identity, and look at the results that are there to be got. Uh, That, to me, feels like the polar opposite of the US, in spite of a profile with the squad that at the top end is similar, I think Morocco probably have some more depth, which, again, brings us to a conversation about the larger footballing structures in America for a different time. Yeah, definitely for a different day. Uh, there have been the the murmurings around the new contract talks with uh, Berhalter also. Uh, some speculation that, oh, maybe he he might want to try and look to get a job in Europe. This is I'm all sure he posturing does. on his part. It's, I'm sure well, he would. For this, for this particular contract negotiation, that is posturing. He wants more money because we will i'll be very brief on this i from the time the whistle blew on the match against iran um i have known greg berhalter if it's up to the u.s soccer federation uh is coming back um i was i was having an argument with my friend right after a full-time whistle was blown at netherlands he's like we gotta get a new manager we gotta get a new manager i'm like yes i know that but these people are idiots and when push comes to shove, they're going to give Coach Nepotism another World Cup run 
if he wants it. I think Jay Burhalter is no longer with the U.S. Soccer Federation, but he's still coaching nepotism to me in my heart and will be forever. Um, yeah, it's they need to move on. They need to find someone to take them to the next level. But I think I think Greg would be a fool to to not come back if if offered. I think he's the wrong man for a job. But the opportunity to host. Uh, a World Cup on your home soil and what you expect to be like this new and this phrase is used too much, golden generation of talent for the U.S. You're an idiot if you're just like, no, don't want any of that, especially given the the job security that he'll have. I mean, I guess the the weirdness of it all is they don't have to qualify this time as a host nation and some of the weaknesses in Burhalter's managing work. Which is a bad thing by the way, just like yeah, yeah. that is a bad thing. And for people to be prepared for that, that's not going to help you. Like I, to conclude that the U S as a team will look better four years from now, the players will be better, but four years with pretty much no competitive games, you'll have a gold cup in there. How competitive is a gold cup? For Copa the US? America is the rumors as well, but it's two years too early. I think if that was 2025, maybe you feel better about that, but Two years before the next World Cup, I don't doesn't really. I mean, even you know, the U.S. going into a Copa America a little bit colder though. What what do we think is going to happen? Respectfully, I, mean, I think Greg, they get ripped if, limb if for Greg, limb. If Greg Berhalter's <laughs> the manager, they get ripped limb, limb for limb. Yes, if they've got someone new uh, implementing a system and you know trying to figure out how to improve via the player pool and weaknesses in the side, then they still get ripped. Rip, Limb from limb, but maybe it's a learning and a growing experience. Well, maybe for not. A maybe not. But I, I don't even know no. if there. I, I've never seen an appointment. Like, what is the last slightly outside of the box appointment? It's probably Klinsman, and that's not even outside the box. That was a dumb decision to begin with. Like the the name that I said to you, and it was literally the day after this, he got his next job with a team you could face in the Copa America, and that's Marcelo Bielsa becoming Uruguay manager. It's like okay. I well, prefer the world, this World Cup version of Uruguay. If we're playing them in a Copa America, can I sign up for that? <laughs> like that is exactly what the US need. A, an absolute maniac who knows football better than anyone, who will analyze every second that every one of those players has ever played, who will put a structure in place that is so rigid that the players will be broken down, but something beautiful will come out the other side. But the crossover with our kind of other podcasts uh bielsa truly the david fincher of uh professional football coaches but yeah that's not that's not the avenue the u.s have taken and i i don't it's an appealing job again who doesn't want to coach the hosts with good young talent um who doesn't want to go and be well paid and your base could be wherever in Europe because that's sort of hope for all the players are or you could base yourself in the US lots of great places to live in the US hang, hang like, out in the Chicago office <laughs> an appealing job and yet Greg Berhalter is like that's as big as they can dream I asked this question in our discord I don't have the answer uh, I'll do some research I don't know if I'll get to the bottom of it by the time we do a podcast with this where's the money go where's the money like big injection of funds you're going to host a world cup that's good for a, a a football federation so u.s soccer where's the money and where's it being spent does it mean spent on academies because you've got a weird league that doesn't really set itself up for that is it being set, spent on the coach 
clearly not. Or if it is, if it's being spent on this coach, that's not ideal. Anyway, we'll move on. You miss, you There's miss, more you conversation the, out there. You missed the era of U.S. football where uh, everything was made about the surplus. Oh, we've got a surplus. And it's just, it's just sitting in a, uh, a bank vault uh, where executives would go Scrooge McDuck around uh, the cash. That's, that's what that was used for. Yes, I mean, I do not have experience of a well-run national football federation myself. Um, but I thought you were on to something for a while. Really? Just a I, second. I, I thought that was going to work out. Did <laughs> he, he? Sure. That might work out, but it's the decision making above coaching is always a problem. Um, okay. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Argentina, Australia. Uh, a pretty nice Lionel Messi goal. Very nice Julian Alvarez goal. Julian Alvarez is having himself quite the tournament. It's kind of a tough... I don't, let's not, I don't want to oversell it. But in relative terms, it's a tough life he lives where he signs for City. Uh, signed for City probably 18 months ago now. Finally gets to come over. Except Erling Holland is there scoring every single shot he attempts. So you're on the bench a lot. You're in the shadows. It's when he gets injured, you get some chances. You jet off to the World Cup. And even when Lotaro's struggling and you take his place in the team, it's still the messy show. But Alvarez is looking good and is an important cog in this Argentina team. What I will say overall, though, is Australia gave them a really good game, could easily have equalized late on. And that does not bode well. For Argentina, I I just do not believe in this team at all. I'm not seeing anything from this team to suggest they are going to be world champions. Um, they're not that far away. You're in quarterfinals, so sure they could turn it on now. Or all it takes is a few kind of gritty one nil wins or extra time or penalty shootout wins, and you get out the other side, and there you are. But I just think 
honestly, both sides of the draw, there are too many good teams, too many teams playing so much better than them that I would be very surprised. And I think they're possibly being talked up because a lot of people just want this fairy tale, messy moment um, to kind of send him off into the sunset to Inter Miami, probably. Uh, but I'm not seeing it. This was this was much harder work than it should have been. And I think even more so in hindsight, because the other kind of there's one exception, but if you look at the other or the other last sixteen games, you look at how Brazil played against uh, Japan, Korea, I should say, um, and you look at Switzerland against Portugal. Like, that's the kind of performance where it's like, okay, we see what's happening here. We get it. Um, you're making a statement performance. You're finally here. There's no easy games at this level, but you're far superior to your opponent. And you're going to make sure everyone knows it. That's what should have happened for Argentina here, but it didn't. Yeah, we're on the same page. I was sad napping during this game, so I only caught up via the highlights. I I do agree with you. Always love to see a very aesthetically pleasing, messy goal. Um, but the whole narrative for this team, and it's a true narrative, I should say, is just they've underwhelmed from from kickoff when they lost to Saudi Arabia in a uh, game where Saudi Arabia uh, got a little lucky, but also scored some beautiful wonder goals, and you have to give them credit for that. Um, I picked Argentina to win. I was hoping, not necessarily hoping, because I've got other teams that uh, upon further with maybe some of the decisions that some of the players on this Argentina team are making in the future via, you know, what kind of tourism they want to promote. Neither here nor there. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like my prediction is going to come true. Uh, and, uh, we won't. I won't spoil predictions, but like it's, it's just tough to imagine this is the team holding the trophy at the end of it. That being said, it's a cup competition, so you know we're, we're in the point in the competition where you can get absolutely outplayed, and at the end of what is it, 120 minutes, you're taking penalties, and someone could win a game that they don't necessarily deserve to win. I don't see you know, the team that's set up to grind out against the penalties and win that way. So I think it'll be tougher for someone like them rather than an organized team like Croatia or the, or the Netherlands. Um, but yeah, just another lackluster performance. Uh, unless, I mean, Messi could decide to go God tier in three straight games and we But to this point, um really underwhelming. I don't... This this could be bad. Like this could be famous last words. We could plan this back in a couple of weeks. I don't think he's got it in him. Like mm. to the level because he can do messy things. We've seen some of that already. The problem with oh well maybe it can be the one man takeover. Kylian Mbappe is doing that on the other side of the draw. And if you're giving me whatever Messi is now, 35, 36. Um, if you're giving me that version of Messi's best versus 23-year-old Kylian Mbappe at his best, I think Mbappe is better. Like, right now, I think Mbappe is better. And then it's the question beyond that extends to, okay, well, whose lineup's better 1-11? to 11? Is it Argentina or France? It's France. Is it Argentina or England? 
I think it's England. Is it Argentina or Brazil? I go Brazil. Uh, is it Argentina or Portugal? <laughs> now, considering Portugal have uh, <laughs> they've shed some some dead weight, I think it's Portugal. Like there, uh, th- there have been a lot of Ronaldo exorcisms in the last few weeks. <laughs> I I think it's kind of that's the thing with the Argentina story is unfolded. I, I think Lautaro Martinez not having a great World Cup has been tough for them. I also think they've maybe maybe acted too rashly with some of their changes to their lineup from game to game in places for the overall good of their tournament. But hey, that's what happens when you lose the first game to Saudi Arabia and then you need to find ways to win to stay in the tournament. So that's just kind of set them off on the wrong path. And I think they've had to make some reactionary decisions that have not served them all that well. Only got themselves to blind, though. Uh, on to Sunday, France played Poland. Um, yeah, I mean, Poland, pretty stubborn, tough to break down. We saw them not try to play at all against Argentina to finish out the group stage. But Kylian Mbappe's two finishes are just absolutely ridiculous. He is at an entirely different level to anyone else in this tournament. And there are plenty of guys playing very, very well in this tournament. But ultimately, Mbappe is the cream of the crop right now. Um, And they are... I have question marks still over Rabiot and Chouamani. I think uh, that's, that's a midfield. It's not like it's a terrible midfield, but you could get at them if you're one of the better teams. Like, for example... I think Casemiro would like his fanciest chances up against those two guys when it comes to winning the ball and controlling the game. Um, someone like Declan Rice, depending who's around him, could have some joy against the midfield like that. We'll see if he actually does. But ultimately, I think the team is built pretty well around Mbappe. I, I think for as much as Deschamps tried to kill off Giroud so many times... This is the game where Giroud finally overtook Thierry Henry for France's all-time leading goal scorer, which, like, big, big deal. Not just any country to do that with, like, to go to that kind of point in their history for a player who fits the profile, Giroud, who's been criticized and knocked throughout his career, and who honestly, I mean, has always been the, the afterthought in squads. It was all about Benzema, also, Benzema wasn't around for quite some time. Seen all about Mbappe since. And yet Giroud is there and Giroud scores if you put him in the squad. And he, more than that, does a lot of the stuff that you need to have talented wingers succeed. I think Antoine Griezmann has been absolutely fantastic as a number 10. Still not a position you really see him in a whole lot. Uh, really, really strong there. And I think they're very solid at the back. Hugo Lloris, I have questions over at this point in his career, but I France are really, really good. And honestly, all that might matter is Mbappe. And he's the best player in the tournament. Uh, absolutely. I saw this from about the 40th minute on. Uh, um, so we saw the Giroud goal and then Mbappe's two goals. Watching it with someone who really only watches college soccer and the World Cup. And when Mbappe unleashed, I think it was the second goal, he was like, how did he do that? And he did that because he is unquestionably the best player in the world. I, I assume there's been some debate over the last few years, but I think everyone has always known at, at his best day, this guy's better than anyone going. 
and he's proving that on the largest stage in international football. I really would love to see him get away from uh, PSG, and I assume Madrid's probably next on on the table for him uh, moving forward uh, with whatever happens there. Um, we'll, we'll see if he can, you know, keep adding to it, get a get some little Liga titles, get a Champions League victory instead of just making it to a final. Um, I mean, Vinny Jr., Rodrigo, and Mbappe, like, if that's the next stage of Madrid, and then it seems like they're going to sign Hendrik, who's probably the top-rated prospect in world football. Young Brazilian will be two years before he's um, able to go and play for them, but that deal has been tied up over a lot of other European rivals. Yeah, I mean... He's got options open to him. Look, Andrew, your team. Your team could be very rich very soon. And Kylian Mbappe has often... Um, there's been rumors. There's been rumblings. There's clearly some affection there. Uh, Liverpool is Andrew's team, for anyone who doesn't know. Who knows? We'll see what happens. But I, he would be so much better away from Neymar, away from Messi, with a team that is more like his team. I think Giroud is actually a great example of that. It's like... Yeah, you can build a team where Mbappe just takes you to a different stratosphere with some players like Giroud who are going to do the dirty work. You don't need everyone to be the world's best player around him because you want to give him the ball. Like, I, it feels like a wasted opportunity every moment he doesn't have the ball. He's also the only player in the tournament that the crowd is really popping for who's actually like still really deserving of that. Um, that surge of energy every time he gets the ball is very, very cool. Like that excitement feels real. Where on the other hand, when that was happening for Ronaldo in a later game, when he comes on as a sub, you're like, it's a waste of waste of all your energy, and he's not wasting his energy to to get anything out of it. But look, we'll get to that. Um, England Senegal, interesting game that England have been painted as. Oh, look. They arrived, they made their statement, convincing 3-0 win. For 35 minutes of this game, the opening 35 minutes, Senegal were right there and probably should have been ahead. And once England found a way through, I think the difference in quality pays off, which is always how it should have been um, for this particular game. But I do think, I think Gareth Southgate made the wrong call on his starting lineup. It was hailed in the English press, which is not unusual when you get to this point in the tournament. But Jordan Henderson may have scored. I don't think this is this is the way England should be doing this. And if they go into playing France and Jordan Henderson starts, sorry Andrew, no offense to your guy. Uh I think it's bad news. Like I there's so many questions of oh which player should get in here? How do you do this? I think it's very, very simple. I I really think Gareth Southgate is overcomplicating this. Like, you have the players to be a front foot, we're dictating how this game is played, team. Like, we are as good as anyone in the world. And how you do that is you play Bellingham and Rice as your two center midfielders. You put Foden in front of them, and you play Saka wide right, Rashford wide left, Kane up top. You've got all the players, the debate over, should this guy get in, should that guy get in, is gone and you have a level of technical quality out there that is better than anyone else is probably going to come close to uh, for a complete front six in the world. And Southgate will just, whether it's Henderson, whether it's Mason Mount before that, he just keeps finding ways to make his team worse than it should be, um, to 
just take a step back when a step forward I think is there for them to take. I mean, ultimately, I might feel good about that. That might lead to the results of the tournament that I feel happiest about. But I, I do think until this game shifted, and I don't really think it shifted because of the decisions that had led it to be a problem for England for the first 35 minutes, I think some of the concerns I would have if I was an England fan were very much on display. Adam, it's what we all expected. Jordan Henderson inserted into the side and makes a, a late run to score a goal, wearing the number eight on his back. It's just like we all drew it up. Uh, I agree with you about that. Uh, I was So I watched this match in an Irish pub, drinking a Guinness, followed by a hot toddy with Irish whiskey instead of bourbon, rooting for Senegal. So I was trying to, you know, just be your spirit animal in that moment and just, you know, carry you to victory. Clearly that's, that's not on the agenda for the, the France match. I think I need to, you know, reevaluate how I provide you support because obviously in, in the same weekend where my I think team Kylian Mbappe has got it. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, Mbappe is going to be pretty tough for England to contain. I don't, um, yeah, I think your lineup suggestions are a no-brainer. I do say that Jordan Henderson owes Jude Bellingham a beer for that goal. Um, they seem to be, you know, growing quite close during this World Cup, Adam. They're just all they sure do. About, about how, you know. You got 135 million pounds? Uh, I don't. Everything seems to be in place. You just need to couple 135 million pounds. Maybe that's something that. I don't know. FSG can factor into their their plans to sell the club. Well, they just signed an outfielder for the Red Sox, <laughs> uh, uh, a, a guy from uh, the Japanese league. Um, not familiar with his game, but that might you know that might diminish some of the funds unless there's an infusion from somewhere where who could say. Um, yeah, I, I I won't get into predictions, but. Uh, not a sliding doors moment, because which I love to say in this tournament, because I, I don't think there was one chance that was particularly like golden for Senegal, but they were to your point dictating the tempo and pace of the game for a while. Um, I really just keep coming back to like I wish Sadio Mane was on this team and they had someone with that just um, cutting edge and attack, somebody that has a knack for scoring big goals and is not afraid of the moment. Well, Adam, we've been talking and trying to figure out what Argentina lucking into a World Cup trophy looks like. And I think it's that uh, they get to a final and Gareth Southgate is their best player. I think that's 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 the way it happens is they keep getting lucky and then he continues to start the wrong lineup. But if he does that too early or I I, I just I don't want to get into predictions. We'll talk about this in a minute. But uh, yeah, I'm a Liverpool fan. Jordan Henderson is my league winning and my uh, uh, Champions League winning captain. I've wanted Virgil Van Tyke to be the captain for the last three years or so, but you know they don't ask my opinion. Um, yeah, I think uh, he's a liability in the midfield because the reason Klopp and Southgate say that they start him in 
deep, like big matches. That was the English media, to your point, just be like, Klopp and Southgate trusts Henderson in big matches. You would think there's some sort of defensive solidity and organization. And it wasn't really there at his prime. He could do a job from time to time. And I think he made, he made, or he had most of his success when he covered pinching in uh, for Trent Alexander-Arnold, when he was bombing up front and attack for, for all those years. But I think he's lost a step or two. And next round, is it when it finally bites England? Probably so. We'll talk about it in predictions. Um, Japan, Croatia. Probably you the most underwhelming game. Uh, look, I didn't want to get to that yet. That not only did I nail this one, I in fact nailed every single game of the round. So I hope some people took that to the bank. And don't take any future things to the bank because it's probably never going to go that right again. Um, I I didn't even take my own advice, Andrew. I wish I did. I wish I'd taken. You know, Croatia on penalties. I wish I'd taken Morocco to beat Spain. I didn't do any of this. But I I think the game just played out exactly as I would have expected. This is a Croatia team that is not entirely old, but it is largely old. It is old in key places. They look leggy. Um, they do not look like a very imposing or threatening team at all. But they know how to play tournament football and you will have to kind of, you will have to beat them. You will have to get them out of a game. They will not take themselves out of a game. And tough for Japan. I think just a little bit of naivety at some points in the game and then really, really over odds in the penalty shootout. I mean, truly some of the worst penalties I've ever seen just in succession, um, which is tough because they've had a really good tournament. They've, outperformed i think their ability they've outperformed their expectations and all it would have took is a couple of couple of cool composed penalties and japan could be in the quarterfinals but instead um croatia were able to take care of things even with which makes a lot of sense but also surprised me taking luka modric out when they did um yeah can he do 120 minutes and go again in your next game i don't know but also i would have bet the house on Modric taking penalties so that was a brave call the Croatians made too they just trusted kind of more generally in who they have and their ability to perform under that pressure and they delivered so kudos to them um, Lovakovic also did pretty well I mean poor penalties but when a goalkeeper is saving penalties over and over again like we'll talk about another keeper um, very shortly you know that's Credit is you. You're doing your job. You're diving the right way. You're not going too early. You're staying confident, calm, and you're reading the situation very well. So I tip my hat to Lovakovic. Yeah, this is the one where I only saw penalties and I I hurt for Japan. That was, you know, a brutal way to go out. But they, to your point, they overachieved their talent level uh, and have really, you know, put themselves in, in a position where they can be proud of their efforts and uh, losing to Croatia on penalties is nothing to be ashamed about. I was too busy slinging software during this one, Adam, because my <laughs> life is spent on Zoom meetings. I I will say for Japan, they are the example, again, not to bring it back to the US, but it's like of a team and a country who just at this point 
they know how to play tournament football. They're not very good. Like they don't have uh an abundance of really talented players that you expect to take you into the knockout rounds or go further. But they have a pretty strong sense of okay, let's go and here's how we can get the best from what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a clear strategy. Players are going to perform to it. Everyone's going to pull in the one direction and we'll get the most out of what we're doing. They did it once again. Uh, an Asian counterpart that also applies for is South Korea. They had the misfortune of getting out of the group only to draw Brazil, uh, which is tough to get Brazil in the last 16. And so approved because Neymar returned from injury. Returned looking pretty good too. And Brazil... Uh, they finally, I guess, took the Samba energy they've had coming off the bus into a game. And they scored within the first 10 minutes. They scored a second shortly after that. 4-0 up after 36 minutes. Um, credit to South Korea for actually getting some control in this game and kind of battening down the hatches and not making this something that was truly embarrassing. The one thing with Brazil is the injury to Gabriel Jesus. Um, I'm blanking now who else got injured. They're down a fullback. I mean, the one thing they're playing Danilo at left back now. Militao has moved out to right back, which you can do, but I mean, he plays center back mostly at club level. And they do not have the depth for anything to go wrong beyond that. Um, they are one of the teams who've been probably hardest hit by injuries. Alex Tellez was actually that's a, a left back. His tournament is over. Danilo's over there, and they're a little bit stretched. So that's just something to keep an eye on in terms of what could be Brazil's undoing. But it doesn't feel like their undoing is going to come on the pitch. I still think there's a case he made that there is a better version of Brazil, um, in a kind of Gareth Southgate way. If if Chiche made some more aggressive decisions. Um, Lucas Pacata has been very good at some points. I think he's been pretty bad at other points. I'm fairly confident that Bruno Guimaraes is a, a much better midfielder and could be kind of a much more progressive midfielder for Brazil. Um, maybe there's more out of an, an Anthony or a Gabriel Martinelli. Those kind of players are Rodrigo than you're necessarily getting at all times from Rafinha, although I think Rafinha is growing into this tournament and having some really good moments. Brazil just look... To me, I'm still saying the best team in the tournament. Overall, kind of across the board, the best team. France, they've got the individual player going for them, but I think best team to me still feels like Brazil. Yeah, it's getting to a point where, you know, we have the, the storylines we want to root for, like Louis van Gaal. We have our favorite teams. And yet, I think the most rewarding thing in this World Cup would be to see a Brazil-France matchup, because I think that's just a very compelling, uh, just like battle of titans. Um, Vinicius Jr. I mean that first goal, just the the way the, the fact that the ball got to him in that position, and just the tight, composed finish with I got four or five guys converging on him. I mean, he's just an exceptional player. He didn't get the brace that I was hoping for. I I, I projected uh two goals for Vinicius. I did say this is my one correct pre prediction. Not exactly going out of a, on a limb, but this is a game where the goal uh 
the goal waterfall finally unleashes for Brazil, and and that was the case. Uh, nice South Korean goal late. I mean, it didn't matter obviously in the impact of the game, but that was that was a sight to behold and uh, great to see. Always love to see a a great goal and lineup decisions moving forward to your point are very interesting injury issues and decisions to be made there. Um, but yeah, France has the best player in this tournament, the best player in the world, Brazil, which was like, just, excuse me, the over, uh, overthinking I did when picking out a bat, uh, bracket just to, you know, have something taking a chance. It's Brazil stupid. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, Vinny Jr. is my favorite player in the world. Uh, definitely take kind of my rooting interest out of it. There's no player I like to watch more than him. Um, I think he is really, really special. He's growing into the tournament too. And I think there's probably a big say to be had by him yet in some absolutely colossal games. I would not complain about a repeat of the France 98 World Cup final. Um, Brazil-France would be very, very interesting. Maybe get a repeat of the the semi-final that Brazil had to get there, which was Brazil-Netherlands. So um, Croatia being in the wrong side of the draw is the only thing that is denying us the chance. I mean, we could have had a Croatia on the other side of the draw. We could have had a repeat of the last World Cup final, and then we could have had things shake up exactly semi-final-wise, like the 1998 World Cup. Um, Morocco, Spain, nil nil. The only scoreless game of the last 16. Good nil nil, though. Very good nil nil. I, I think this is something too that I don't that I say this earlier. I think for anyone, and I know we do have some listeners who aren't necessarily kind of regular football watchers, but they're locked in on the World Cup. One thing I'll say about football, which maybe is different to a lot of other sports, uh. Possession does not amount to control of a game. And you can just completely say, well, we don't want the ball, and still dictate how the game is played, and ultimately have the decisive moments play to your plan. That's what Morocco did here. Um, Morocco didn't just kind of play for penalties from the opening whistle. It wasn't just like 11 men behind the ball. And all we're going to do is block off every route for Spain to find any gap in our defense. Sure, they're doing that because you've got to do that to stay in the game. But they were countering with real purpose. They had quite a few chances and maybe some of the better chances in the game throughout. And they could have won it. They could have won it in normal time. They could have won it in extra time. Sure, Spain could have too, but it. This just no part of this felt like, oh, Morocco shut up shop. They tried to get the penalties and then they won the lottery when they got there. I think they were set up in a way that was very cognizant of Spain's weaknesses again. Um, this is a team that multiple of the players are based in Spain. Like, I mean, Bono, the keeper, who ends up saving everything really in the shootout, he is the Sevilla keeper. Got to be fun for him going back to play in front of La Liga crowds like for the rest of the season a few weeks from now. But the front tree for Spain, which I think we talked about going in and some of the weirdness of that and just their, their real lack of a striker. Oh, great. Everyone scored against Costa Rica. Their tournament has fallen off a cliff since then. 
it's the problem that has really plagued Spain throughout most of Spain's history. Um, bar the the brief moment where you know what they were just so good at passing that it didn't matter if they didn't have a striker. But right now, I think it's the thing that the thing that hurt them, the thing that undid them. Would they have been better with Rodri in midfield compared to Busquets too? I think yeah, you could have got ahead of that. They're kind of a foot in boat worlds, and it didn't really work out for them in the end. So um, Morocco are really good, really really good. Hakimi's Panenka, like one of the most nerveless penalties I have ever seen. I guess you get to do that when your superstar comes up to take that penalty. Uh, Hakimi born in Spain, for anybody who hasn't heard that already. So that's a fun moment. But Morocco are Morocco are really good. Like, I guess on paper, they are the one like upset, the one real surprise to make it through to the quarterfinals. But they're not some weird outlier. Like, they're there on merit. They're really technically good. They've been really well organized. Um, they are unbeaten through four games now in the tournament, and I think getting the best of them is not going to be an easy task. Yeah, this is one where I only saw penalties, but I think one of the comments that I made about Spain going into the tournament was would they have the all of the buildup and possession of the ball, to your point, but not have that uh, just incisive goal-scoring threat up front, and they proceeded to to start the tournament by beating Costa Rica 7-0 and make me look like an absolute fool. Um, but then it seems like that those issues reared their heads. Uh, as you said, Morocco could have what, won the, what does that say about your uh, your continent's strength, do you think? Overall, because there were some rumblings early in the tournament about this. I saw from people I followed are like, oh, who's laughing now? And I, I do think ultimately not a good tournament for Konsakov. No, not at all. And, I mean, that's the thing I said on the first episode. I said, I don't like talking to you about how much I love the U.S. team because it's the decks are stacked differently between what my team has to do to qualify to what your team has to do to qualify. And it was a terrible showing for CONCACAF. Even a team like Canada, who had some spells of play where they looked pretty decent, they got battered by croatia um zero points and, yeah zero Demi, points like Demi Carter, in spite of being good like the, and yeah they don't hand out uh participation trophies at the world cup uh unfortunately for canada so you know thanks for playing and a team like morocco is a whole different level of competition for spain and they clearly did not have the ability to break them down and really do anything of note. And then, yeah, well, all I did see of this was the penalty shootout. You know, you hit the post on the first one, next two are saved. And then it's good morning, good afternoon, good night. Pretty demoralizing effort there for Spain. But really cool to see Morocco make this run to the quarterfinals. And, I mean, they they can do it again. We'll see. Portugal 6, Switzerland 1. Cristiano Ronaldo dropped by Portugal. Uh, this is a <laughs> this is a continuing uh, unfolding story. I think as we record this, I've seen varying levels of reports as to whether Ronaldo just skipped training today, um, whether he trained with the starters as opposed to the 
subs because the starters have to train much lighter than the subs generally do all sorts of talking regardless his reaction to being substituted in their final group game uh which i believe was the loss to korea i think that was portugal's final group game um finally got under the skin of his coach which long time together um i don't really know I mean, I, I do know. Fernando Santos, the Portugal manager, has not been someone who has been held up as like this bastion of coaching or someone even who necessarily seems to have like the strongest kind of authority over his team. I guess part of that is just part and parcel of having Ronaldo on your team. But they've been through a lot together. They've obviously won the Euros um, after Ronaldo got injured and was on the sidelines. They're really, I mean, trying to outcoach his manager in that game too. Um, it, it's just uh, I don't know I like what do I have to say on this I have watched this particular movie weekly for 18 months now and from the moment Ronaldo returned to United I was like this is terrible this is this is how you destroy a football club because uh, I saw what he did at Juve and how he looked at Juve in his last season there the guy's not the same and I feel like everyone could see it and understand it now except for him um, if Saudi Arabia is his next port of calls, it's like, sure, go there and you'll score a lot of goals, and you could tell yourself you're the best player in the world. Still, you're not. You're not in the eleven best players Portugal could pick. You're probably not in the twelve, thirteen, fourteen best players Portugal could pick. Uh, I thought it was interesting when he came on. That was maybe still a little bit of giving in to Ronaldo because, for me, Rafael Liao would have been in long before Ronaldo. He would have been the player I'd have picked to start over him. But it was Gonzalo Ramos who had his first World Cup start and became the first player since Mirosav Klose to score a hat-trick in his first World Cup start. The youngest hat-trick scorer on their first World Cup start since Pele. Uh, way to introduce yourself, a way to bury Ronaldo on the bench for the rest of the tournament because... Portugal really just hummed without Ronaldo out there. They were so much more mobile in something that, I mean, Bruno Fernandes has been having a very good tournament, but in something I'm very familiar with, uh, he looked a million times better without Ronaldo there, with him able to go and take more control, do more running. Um, I believe he has just about as many completed passes as anyone in the tournament, while also having just as many kind of, successful presses so he's really working very hard and having a lot of joy both going forward and going back from midfield and yeah other interesting calls here I mean Joe Cancelo dropped too they had some enforced issues that required some changes Um, but Diogo Dallo didn't have to play he could have had Joe Cancelo who has been pretty incredible at City over the last year plus um, Diogo Dallo came in and it all worked. Portugal looked brilliant. Yeah, Goncalo Roma, uh, Ramos uh, had... Gonzalo, uh, Gonzalo. G- Gonzalo, sorry. I, I was ca- going to call it like uh, triple his Cody Gakpo moment where he introduces himself to people that have never seen him play before. He's at Benfica, if I'm remembering that correctly. And mm-hmm. uh, assuming he's a guy that will be in numerous transfer rumors moving forward. Um, Switzerland's a team that we talked about um, just being like 
okay, they're set up to get out of the group. They're used to playing in these situations. They're going to get out of the group. And then, you know, from there to knockout, see what happens. And then for Portugal to beat them to this degree and kind of just demoralize them. I mean, Shakiri's out here having to apologize <laughs> to, for the performance. Uh, that just, that in and of itself just highlights how much better this team with, is without Ronaldo in it. And I mean, don't walk it back next round. Stick to your guns and There's just no move way. Forward. After a six-one, Ronaldo is not making things any easier for himself. He didn't come on and take great joy in the fact that his country were winning six-one and through to the quarterfinals. He moped because he didn't score a goal. <laughs> he won this out for offside. His teammates are all celebrating at the end. He's just got a sad face walking around his own. Like, there's just no part of this. It's like the guy is like literally living in a different reality to everyone else. And it's, you're 37. You're one of the greatest players ever. You're top two for a lot of people. You're probably top four, even for the people who hate you most of all. It's like, be happy with that. That's great. You might still win a World Cup if you just shut up about it. And you, you know, you could come out and score a winning penalty or something. You just row in behind your teammates. You've got good young players. It's like so much of his time at club level. It's I want to win. I want to win a Champions League. I want to do this. I want to do that. And in reality, he gets in the way of a young team developing or going on and trying to compete or win for something. He has never worked out the way to best mesh what he has with the kind of team that would require for him to win trophies at this point in his career. Portugal might have all the ingredients there, but if it's a question of, oh, well, let's see if he understands that and try to make it work, or let's just cast him aside and do our own thing, I think doing the latter is a lot safer. Could lead to better things. We'll see. All right. Let's wrap this up by briefly previewing. Give me our predictions. Netherlands-Argentina. I think this is going to be a really boring game. I'll get in front of that. Uh, I'm going Netherlands, which is probably not a surprise to people who've listened to this all along. I think they just have what it takes to frustrate Argentina, to make life much more difficult for Argentina than a lot of the teams they've struggled against so far. And then for whether it's Cody Gakpo or Memphis Depay or maybe Frankie de Jong on a marauding run or something as simple as a set piece because the Dutch certainly have the players to score in that way too to get the goal that could be decisive. Could go to extra time, it could go to penalties, but I, I like the Dutch to just about sneak through in this one. Yeah, I'm just going to copy you and take the Dutch because of what I've witnessed them do to my own team. And, you know, I'm just going to ride with Louis here from from the rest of the way. Croatia, Brazil. Um, I think this could be ugly. This, I don't know if it's going to quite be first half of South Korea or Brazil against Switzerland. But it could be. Like, this is... The last hurrah for your Luka Modric's, your Dejan Lovren's, your Ivan Perisic, those kind of players. And if there's a possibility that things could get very unceremonious, they could find a real kind of gap in the level they're at, it could be against a team like Brazil. I'm going to say 3-0 Brazil. 
Yeah, I'll take Brazil as well, and I'm just going to keep predicting uh, multiple goals from Vinicius until the World Cup's over and until Brazil's done. So we'll go with that. England, France. France. I, I cannot, particularly this matchup, but I, I can't pick against Mbappe at this point. Like, this is there for England. England could win this. I do think a lot of the press that even their players are doing, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, do you have to kind of say, no, no, we're not just focused on, on Mbappe because this is no, you know, this is a team sport. One man isn't what this is going to come down to. It's like, I hope that is not how you're talking inside because if, like, if the energy is going into how to stop Usmane Dembele, a great player in his own right, how to nullify the threat of Olivier Giroud if all their attention is on, oh, well, Harry Maguire is going to do this to Giroud. You're just going to be left to look really, really stupid when Mbappe scores a hat-trick and they cruise past. Like, it's... England have what it takes. There is a line up there. I do think the ultimate issue they have is I don't think their defense is strong enough and you're going up against Mbappe and Griezmann and Dembele and they're going to find the gaps in it. And... Yeah, even Giroud, like, he's going to test the physicality and the size of Maguire and Stones in a way that I don't feel they've been tested in yet. And neither of those guys are actually the kind of centre-backs who win every physical battle. They just happen to be big. So I think there's a lot interesting there in terms of what could happen with the English defence. If they played a really attacking midfield, the midfield I mentioned earlier, they could just have all the ball and they could dictate the terms of this game. Don't think they'll do it. Don't think Southgate is brave enough or really tactically astute enough. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're getting our our first half after kind of looking a little off the pace. Jordan Henderson opening goal that changed the game. Don't think we're getting that in this one. Just bet on Mbappe, Mbappe, as you know we're. <laughs> Reminded that Charles Barkley thinks his name is pronounced. Uh, yeah, I'm taking France. Nothing much more to say. Um, I I would love to see a game just for the technical back and forth and to really put to the test your comments about worries about France's midfield because if England were to actually try to exploit some of those weaknesses and control the game like that with their best 11 and especially um, that – best kind of three-man midfield with the with the rice bellingham combination in the middle and Foden ahead of them it's really in, intriguing if something like that were to happen and would kind of give us to a degree our answer on our france's midfield uh could they be a liability in the right circumstance but i mean this just has leadership and hendo nailed onto the 11 Gosh. uh written right over, all over it I think as a point that a lot of people have seen make, which is also worth noting, for as much success as England have had under Southgate, this is clearly the best team they've faced in a tournament under Southgate. They've got some very favorable draws. And if the next like best team they faced was Italy in the Euros final, well, they lost. So and they probably should have lost before they did, which is on penalties. Uh, I Yeah, I think France are just going to have too much. 
Another another team at a different level, but another team that I think should get a better manager. Having said that, would the US be better off with Gareth Southgate? Yes, I do think they would be. But again, conversation for another day. Maybe it's possible. Go on, lads. What's Phil Neville up to? I hear he's stateside. Ah, he's he's still at Inter Miami, right? They haven't fired him yet. I think they made no, the playoffs. I, I'm I'm really excited at the prospect that Lionel Messi may end up coached by Phil Neville. That's truly truly exciting to me. Um, okay, Morocco, Portugal. Can Morocco do it again, Andrew? No, I think Portugal's figured something out with just kicking Ronaldo to the curb. I think. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily. A blowout, but maybe that tight two nothing three one win that I predicted for someone else earlier in the tournament. I think I predicted a two nothing or or three one Netherlands win, but I, um, and that's kind of what I'm looking at for for Portugal now that they don't have the Ronaldo anchor around uh, their necks. Uh, and as much as I've loved the the uh, Morocco story and the run i kind of want to see portugal france so and we're we're getting down to the point in the tournament where you want to see the best of the best up against the best of the best and i think portugal now with them figuring out that or maybe they didn't even figure it out until ronaldo started just living in that separate reality that you described adam but i think this could really unlock something where the knockout stages they're just a completely locked in and different team. I don't disagree with that. Morocco, France could be interesting for, you know, cultural, historical reasons. <laughs> you know, as, as semifinals go, that one could be a little bit feisty, uh, a little bit interesting. There could be some articles and stuff written around that game. Um, I, I think Portugal will win, but I do think... Morocco or they're no pushover. Like I'm, I'm gonna go one goal in that game. Um, you're just, you're just not gonna get the better of them very easy. They've got very good players. I think they're disciplined enough that they'll make it difficult for Portugal. And on top of that, they're capable of scoring a goal of their own. So it may take Portugal scoring two. But yeah, Portugal feels like they've unlocked something. And it's also like with Gonzalo Ramos doing that, but as I mentioned, like Rafael Liao, and you look at the goal he scored when he came on late on, it's a brilliant goal. They just they have the guys. They they have the numbers when it comes to attacking players. Um, I think Joe Felix is playing very well, but it hasn't necessarily had a moment yet. That could come. And yeah, Bruno is at the top of his game. So yeah, I'll I'll go Portugal on that. All right, that does it, Andrew. We'll see if uh, it's going to be two rounds in a row. Did did you get a? Did you go with me? Did you get any predictions wrong here? Did you go Spain over Morocco? Was that? No, I did Morocco as well. I copied you, so we were in lockstep. So we're both. With our okay, so let, yeah. let's see. Let's see if we can do that again. I really would love to watch all these games, but again on Friday, I will be out of commission, and then Saturday, nobody bother me. I'm back home. I'm in front of my TV. I got one dog on one hip, one dog on the other hip, and we're, you know, drinking beers, guys being dudes, watching the the semifinals, which I think will be England, France, and, and Morocco, Portugal. Morocco, Portugal. So yeah, I'm, you know, I've got a Portugal kit that I I bought during uh 
the Euros last or Euros twenty twenty. Are they the only the the only quarterfinalist you have a jersey from? That would surprise. Uh, me. Netherlands as well. Going into, I obviously don't have England. Um, I've I've, I've got, got I've got jerseys for three. I've got jerseys for more of these teams than you. I have a Modric as well. Oh, okay. Then I don't. Um, unless it, are you saying you have a Modric that's, that's not a Croatian? Yeah, it's Croatian. Okay. I've got I've got a lot of Dutch jerseys in my past. Brazil jersey, Portugal jersey. Yeah, look, we don't need to compare jerseys here. Uh, <laughs> that that is probably like your dream podcast. But we could do that some other it's time. A pod pod for another day. <laughs> All right. If you enjoyed what you hear, you've liked our coverage throughout the World Cup and you want to hear us break down the quarterfinals and look ahead to the semifinals, make sure you hit subscribe. Make time for this where we get your podcasts. It's the home for all things pop culture and other things on GSPN. Most of the time you'll hear us talking movies, some TV, some music, that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, I think we've We've carved out this this part of this podcast, which is a football podcast. We've already done one club football one. There'll probably be more of that into next year too. So if you like these episodes, subscribe. You'll get this and all kinds of other stuff. Eurostep Podcast Network. We've got all things Wisconsin sports covered, all the rest of our shows. The main feed, Eurostep Podcast Network feed. You've got Winning Six, myself and Jordan Tresky, the Eurostep with Ty Windish and Rowan Cotty. Cruising for Bruising, me and Andrew, talking all things Milwaukee Brewers. Very active in the market, right, Andrew? Brewers making big moves, big splashy moves. I'm sure you've all seen about it everywhere. Uh, and talking to Sundra, Numac, Jordan Tresky, talking all things Green Bay Packers. For details on all of it, gspn.info. That's where you'll find everything you need to know about all of our podcasts. I'm Adam McGill 11, Andrew's at AC Snide. We're at Make Time for this. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.